And now it's time for We Are Just Christians Live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're certainly glad that you tuned into the show today. We really appreciate you making the time for the show and hope you can stay with us for the next hour or so. We'll be on the air live here in Port St. Lucie. And We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show, as our regular listeners know, but hopefully we have some new listeners. And that being the case, I'm going to give you the numbers in just a moment. You can reach us here. This show is about anything spiritual that's on your mind. And by I'm going to use the word spiritual in a very broadest way, anything that concerns a man's heart and our heart, behavior, our ideas. We even delve into the realm of... Um, politics and cultural things as well as things in the bible things that are troubling us personally that we want to look at and what what the purpose of the show is to point each of us back to being just a christian according to the new testament and that's where we're going to find the answer to our problems or whatever's on our mind is the bible and so you can expect when you call that uh, we're going to take your question and comments, listen to them, try to formulate some kind of response from the Bible as best we can, give you some scriptures, give you some scriptures to, uh, to take a look at. You can make up your own mind about what they say, but that's the idea of the show, because we believe that Jesus Christ left his will for us in the scriptures. It covers all time, and it's very pertinent and relevant to today's issues, today's culture, that's before us that all of us are having to live live in and through and so we point you back to the scriptures we want you to be just a christian and put aside all the denominational differences and doctrines and traditions and even the cultural traditions and norms that may govern our behavior in a wrong way my name is mike schmidt as you heard i'm the preacher and one of the elders of the church of christ here in savona boulevard and my usual partner, how you doing, Gary Jones? I'm doing good this morning. Gary's Mike. here with us. We're both glad to be with you. Let me give you those numbers so you can get a hold of us and the other contact information. You can reach the show live at 772-340-1590. Gary, there I was giving him the correct number and almost, hesitated almost because I thought I was going to. Give them my, the wrong number, 772-340-1590. And you know the worst part about that is right here in front of me, I don't know if you can hear me rustling it, <laughs> is a piece of paper with that kind of stuff written on it, but you'll never guess who doesn't always look at it. But in any event, 772-340-1590 is the number to call. You'll be put uh, right through to us uh, through Skype here at our little studio, and we'll be glad to talk with you today. And the rule, ground rules are very simple. Uh, we don't mind if you disagree or agree. You can talk about whatever's on your mind, and we're going to give you as best answer we can. And we're, may, we may agree or may, may disagree. We're not going to be disrespectful or try to embarrass you or say anything like that. And you can feel free to talk to us. There's a one-second delay, so sometimes we might have trouble talking over you or you talking over us. We'll try to work around that. But that's the idea. And we're going to give you the last words. You don't have to have any fear about calling in. You're going to get the last word, especially if we disagree. You can also reach us by text at 772-340-50. Start over again, <laughs> reading text messages, 
772-260-6120 is one of the text numbers. That's mine, Mike, 772-260-6120. And then we have another text number, Gary's text number, 772-260-6220. Very similar, 772-260-6220. So go ahead and call us or text us this morning. I'll give you an email address a little bit later in the show. And you can write that down if you want to give us a little longer um, question or comment. Email is a good way to do that. And we'll be sure to read those and, and use those if we can. All right. We have a couple of people on the phone. So uh, I think uh, Ken is first on the phone. Then we have Jerry. How you doing, Ken? What's on your mind? I'm doing fine, Mike. Uh, uh, I want to talk about uh, one of God's names. One of God's names. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. One of God's names is what? You get a lot of feedback. I can't. I just cannot hear you, Ken. Sorry. Uh, can you hear me now? That's better. Yes. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, so Genesis twenty two fourteen. All right, what name was you said you want to talk about one of God's names? Jehovah Jireh. Okay. The Lord will provide or Jehovah Jireh Jireh. Yes, okay. What's your comment about that? Let me go let me get over there first. I'm twenty two sixteen. Okay. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord. Yeah. Go ahead, uh, Ken. Yeah, uh, so Genesis 22, 14, 14. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Okay. Okay. Um, what I want to point out here in this verse, and I've got a couple other scriptures too, but, uh, I'll, I'll give you later. Um, most people, when they uh, see that phrase, Jehovah Jireh, they say it means the Lord will provide. Yeah, that's, that's what I just said. That's, yeah, what's that? That's what's in the that's New King James Translation. That's only what? Part of it? Part of what it means. Part of it. Okay. Yes. Well, I think they're probably okay. going on the fact that when you look at a translation like the New King James and maybe the King James, it just says he will call it the, na the name of the place. The Lord will provide it. It doesn't actually give you the Hebrew text there, which I like better. Like the American standard gives you the Hebrew text, Jehovah, Jira or Jira. And that it, it shall be provided is how they, how it's translated here. Why do you say that's part of it? Okay. Uh, with the, the actual, I'm going to tell you what the actual Hebrew, Hebrew says. Okay. And let me, before I say that, let me point out when it does a name like this, it usually says right in the verse what it means, or in the next verse. And it doesn't say, you notice it doesn't say anything about providing here in this verse. It says, it shall be seen. 
so, yeah, that's so the literal that's so a literal so translation of it. Yeah, you're correct. The literal translation of the last part of that verse, which is rendered in the New King James, provided. in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided, yeah. literally is it shall be seen. I think you're correct, or shown. You're yeah. correct. In other words, the Lord sees the need and then provides it. Okay. All right. Well, I want you to go back a couple of verses to verse 7. This is this is where his son Isaac, who is unknowingly to him at that point, the actual offering that's going to be offered up, right? He says, but Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, he said, here am I, my son, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together, so... Uh, it's interesting, Mike, the yeah. American Standard Version that I have here also says provided. Yes, uh, that, and that's why, I, that's why I'm saying that. And I, I think, Ken, uh, hang on a second, Ken, I just want to say this. I, in, in pointing out that it literally says in the Hebrew, seen, I, I think I, I learned something there because I never actually looked up that Hebrew word for provide. I should have done that, but it does, it is the idea of, to show something as God sees the need and provides it is the idea. I think Ken's right about that, probably. Go ahead, Ken. You want to add to this point about verse okay. 7 here. So in this, in this, in this chapter here, Abraham represents Jehovah, God the Father. And Isaac represents Jesus, his son. And in this verse 7, Isaac said, I see the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb? He recognizes the need of the lamb. He, he sees the need. Get it? He, Jesus is saying he sees the need and provides the lamb. So you're saying... God saw the need for the lamb, that is the sacrifice, which would be him, and then he provided himself. Yes. That's Jesus. Is that what you're saying it means? Yes, yes. Okay, all right. I thought that might be it. Well, yeah, I think that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. What's that? He sees the need for our salvation. He right. sees what we need. And, and in general, in general, he sees all our needs. Yes, I think that's what I think Jesus says that that your father knows what you have need of even before you ask. He, he knows, but of course we're still to, to pray for that. Of course, I'm going to give you a couple. I'm going to give you a couple of other scriptures that I call Jehovah Jireh scriptures. Okay. One is Isaiah sixty-five twenty-four, and the other one is Matthew six eight. All right, let me go to Isaiah here. I'm having some kind of funny problem with my, uh, I use a, you know, years ago, Ken, I would have, um, I would have used, I would have been flipping through here with lightning speed for, in my Bible by hand, looking up these things, and why in the world won't this thing look, do what it's supposed to do. And what was the Matthew reference? Uh, 
Uh, six eight. Six eight. I've got my Bible, but I've got my uh, Bible program. So something I did something yesterday studying, and I noticed right away it wasn't acting. The windows weren't right. It was all messed up, and I cannot figure out what I did, even how to reset it. But anyway, I'll work around that. So this is Isaiah 65, 25. Or 24. <clears throat> I think it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. I, I did not. I would not have connected that, and that's a great scripture. So God is saying, and this is a this is a prophecy of the time we live in, the church age. The church. This is the prop. This is well. I would say it's a prophecy of the messianic era, the messianic kingdom. Right, Ken? You think that's true? Right. And so this is what he says in this era, which corresponds to um, well, the verse I used before, which I think is probably close to where you're going. If I'm going, if I'm, my memory is right about the scripture in Matthew six eight. Uh, it says, uh, therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Then he, in this manner, pray. Then he gives what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. So that's the verse I was referencing that he has need. And so you think I had not connected, but that's a Jesus is saying, in essence, this is the fulfillment of Isaiah's statement about me, that God will see and provide. You know, and this probably isn't what you're getting at, Ken, here, but when I think of this, my question is, and I'm probably going to speak about this in a, you know, brush up against this in my sermon this morning. It, it isn't that, for example, I don't believe that God will provide. My problem is uh, being afraid of what he considers provision, <laughs> what, what he considers what I need well, be is not always pleasant. What I want and what what I think I want and what I may even be praying about isn't at all sometimes what God thinks I need and what he's willing to provide me because he loves me. So it's, it's, that's uh, the big disconnect. That old saying, be careful what you ask for, you may get it. Yes. Is, do you, does that make any sense to you, Ken, or does that sound sacrilegious? Uh, you know, it makes some sense. Uh, makes some sense. Well, that's a start. Right thing, yeah, <laughs> I don't. Get, I don't even get that much from my wife if it makes what sense. We what we want are uh, two different things. What's it, what we need and what we want. Yes, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> well, I, I'll just say that I use I use this example all the time. Here, I'm going to talk about maybe a little bit the beginning of this story in our Genesis Bible class at 10 o'clock. We have a Bible class we're doing Genesis getting under the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, here's Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot escapes basically with his life and his two daughters, and there's not much to say good about the two daughters. His wife has lost all his possessions, his home, everything is gone. And uh, uh, the Bible says God delivered righteous Lot from Sodom. That's quite a deliverance, isn't it? Basically, he picks him up and sets him down on a rock with nothing. Yeah, you've been delivered, all right. It isn't exactly what I think the memes and the little uh, flowery memes we put on the Internet about God taking care of us. I don't think that's what people have in mind when they think about God delivering them from their troubles. Well, not, like having, not having in mind what the Scripture actually <laughs> says comes about a lot of times. 
Let's go back up to verse uh, 16 in that uh, Isaiah 65 chapter, because this whole chapter seems to be messianic in its nature. And he says in verse 17, Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Uh, he says that twice. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing, and her people as a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and, and joy. He's not... He's not talking there about another. I don't think he's talking there about another physical earth or another physical heaven or another physical Jerusalem. He's right. talking about spiritual things here uh, that are in the nature of the kingdom. And sometimes we don't we don't look for those things in these prophecies like we should connect those subjects. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Well, Ken, uh, we've got another uh, we've got another caller. So. Uh, wrap up if you don't mind what you want to get at and then we can come back to this another time okay um, I was going to say something else but now I forgot what it was (laughs) I'm sorry about that well this is a this is a great scripture uh, this story Uh, and the story of Abraham and Isaac always been go ahead okay Uh, I'll, I'll make this quick uh I'm going to give you an example of this. I didn't have the money to pay the light bill once. The light bill was due in a day, a day or two. I didn't have the money, and I wasn't going to have the money for all over a week. So I prayed. The next day, I got a check in the mail for $2 over the amount of the light bill. <laughs> check I you wasn't know, expecting. Ken, this kind of thing has happened to me over and over in my life. Now, if you are a CRT Marxist, you will say that that was white privilege. Um, but I, d- I don't believe that that's white privilege. I believe that the that God will take care of us. He won't always just send us a magical check in the mail. You had probably done something to receive that check at some other previous time that God. Uh, I think I owe one. Yeah, there you go. And, and God, uh, God uses providence to bring those circumstances about. I can think specific. I'm just now reminded of a case where I loaned a young man some money that I didn't really have, and I loaned him some money, and and uh, of course he was having trouble, and he didn't, he never paid me back, and and I didn't have many, and and, and a couple years went by, and I even forgot about it, you know, and one day he shows up and hands me my three hundred dollars and says, here's the money I owe you. And I just looked at him like, wow, I forgot all about that. But it couldn't have come at a better time. We were completely uh, in dire straits at that point in time. And at that day, I had to tell young people, in that day, $300 was uh, was plenty to settle most bills. Today, it means nothing almost. But uh, and, and as the clock ticks, it means less and less. But God does provide. He doesn't always provide in the way in the amount and at the time that we have in mind, or even in kind, he doesn't repay in kind at times. We have to be, we have to look and see that God takes care of it. And eventually you will form, I hope, in your own heart, a confidence in spite of the difficulties or the appearance of things that, yes, God will take care of me and take care of the people that I'm trying to care for in his own way uh, because he loves the sparrows, even though they're small and tiny and insignificant, he knows each one has numbered the hairs on my head, and he'll take care of me. 
Any last comment? We're going to move on, uh, Ken. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. The the point is that money was on the way before I trade. <laughs> yeah, it was. It had to be in the mail, didn't it? Already in the mail. Yeah, yeah. And and that's the good thing about the way God takes care of Christians. Now, a worldly person isn't going to believe that. They're going to laugh at those stories, and maybe God hides it from them. Maybe because of their heart, God hides these things from them. I I don't know the answer. But uh, I believe that what you're saying is true. God will provide. Now, we haven't even touched much on. We'll do this maybe another time because we've got to move along here. But the the big story of God seeing the need, like you said in the beginning, in the story of Abraham and Isaac. A somewhat controversial story because of that concept of child sacrifice. Well, there, there's that someone there, pointed out there are continuing thoughts like that in Isaiah 65. It's a marvelous chapter. I just like to go through it in Isaiah 65 when I was sought by those who did not ask for me and I was found by those who did not seek me. Yeah, we see this all the time. We see this all the time. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much, Ken, for calling in. We'll resume our conversation hopefully soon. And I appreciate you calling in. Um, uh, Are you there on the line, Jerry? Are you still there? Uh, Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, Mike and Gary, uh, thank you for taking my call. I have a drumroll question. Uh, I had a CVA or float. Uh, I'm hard to understand. Swirbal vascular accident. Oh. And uh, I was wondering about the word chattel. Uh, H-A-D-L, uh, uh, meaning to own another person. And, uh, and I'm, uh, and I was wondering about the devotion of the word. And also, uh, well, Kentucky stood on the question of slavery. And, uh, that's all, uh, I would like to listen to all Michael Tabor. That'd be good. That's fine, Jerry. Well, I appreciate you calling in. I don't have any more trouble understanding you on the air than I do almost any other caller. So just so you know, uh, we have trouble, we have trouble hearing some of them because of the, of our, our technology here. And, um, it's interesting because I was just reading a little bit this week about um, slavery and stuff and, and looked a couple of things up. But I, the idea of chattel is um, – and, and so some kinds of slavery, and I believe the way it's usually used today, the way that you're going to run across this word chattel, C-H-A-T-T-E-L – is it is an adjective for a particular kind of slavery, chattel slavery, it's called, where you where something is to be used as a personal possession. And in law, there's a chattel law on the books and the way it's used in the legal sense is any item of property other than real estate that you. So I I got a loan one time uh, to cover a delivery of a baby, one of our children. I had to put all uh, down at uh, household finance. I don't even know if they're still in business. I had to put all of my personal possessions up as a collateral for this loan to pay the hospital bills so my wife could have a baby in the hospital. This is the way things used to be. And so I signed these papers over. And I believe my recollection is, indeed, it called my possessions chattel, whatever I owned. Now, then, it came, it's come to mean in more common usage – in society today because of the our emphasis that, that everything is racial in origin 
is this idea of chattel slavery, which was the kind of slavery that was generally practiced uh, in North America, and in particular the United States before the Civil War. There were kinds of slavery in the United States early on, and probably coexisting with chattel slavery. Indentured servitude, for example, was a common form of servitude, which would we would call slavery today, but was not considered chattel slavery. And you read certain books at the time, pre-Revolutionary War books and stuff, you will see that there were a lot of indentured servants that were in the United States. A person paid uh, someone's way over from Europe to the United States, and they became their servant for X number of years, and they were bound to that person, legally bound to them by a cha- by this agreement. They weren't considered necessarily chattel, but they were certainly slaves in the common parlance. This is, was not an uncommon thing. In fact, it hasn't been uncommon throughout all of history, this idea of chattel slavery. But uh, I think when you – and there's a big criticism of the Bible. I'm going to go off on a tangent, Jerry. Maybe this will help you. But that's the idea of chattel. Now, let me answer quickly about Kentucky. I grew up right across the river from Kentucky. I was born probably five miles from Kentucky or less across the Ohio River uh, in Kentucky. And Kentucky was a Confederate state. It was considered politically a border state. And so the laws about slavery were were Southern in nature in Kentucky, but they weren't as strong as they were in, say, Virginia or Mississippi. It was a border state, and there was a lot of impetus in Kentucky for that state to become free and get rid of slavery, but they didn't before the Civil War. In fact, the little town I was lived near and went to elementary school in, Glendale, may have mentioned this before, I don't know, was a, was an, a place where the Underground Railroad came up, as it were. That was a place where there were some safe houses in Glendale, in Ohio, a free state, across the river where the, the slaves would be uh, basically reappear and they would be incorporated back into society there in the, in the Underground Railroad in this little town. So, yes, Kentucky had slavery. They weren't as set on it as far as the overall population. My, you know, the, I don't know how to say this. I, I probably can explain it. Maybe I explain it poorly. My, my, uh, my ancestry is Kentucky and on my mother's side. All of my mother's family, all my ancestors on her side are from Kentucky in the previous generation or two before she was born. And my grandparents, her parents, were very poor farmers uh, of the poor lowest lower class in Kentucky, barely scratching out a living in in Kentucky as tobacco farmers and laborers, whatever the case may be. Our our diet, my our diet growing up and our language and our the thought process, I see this now more clearly from my grandparents, who were Christians and good people. But we were basically the same type of people as the freed slaves in the South. There was, there was a difference in the two groups. But essentially, and that's where some of the animosity came from as time went on after the Civil War, 
is that people like my grandparents and the freed slaves were competing for the same resources. They had the same education levels. They had the same skill levels. They had the same property uh, ownership levels in large degree as the freed slaves. And so there was this natural competition, much like African-Americans and African immigrants in this country or Im uh, black immigrants in this country are in competition with one another and often don't get along in this country. It isn't, be, it's because, it isn't also because of the color of their skin, it's because they're competing for the same resources in society. And so it breeds this kind of a, a, a bitterness at times. And yet there was a lot of, of affinity. And I, re, I hear the stories, heard them all growing up of my grandparents' interaction with the black people around them. And it was one of friendship for the most part and camaraderie on a large scale because they were the same people in many ways. One of those people, one of those groups, though, had come through chattel slavery being owned by other people. And so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying their experiences were the same and they were the same. One had experienced chattel slavery. My grandparents experienced a kind of uh, a poverty and, and social position that comes from simply being uneducated and not always being landowners. So that that manifested itself in in America and that's where we are today but this chattel slavery that existed in the United States that we think of generally speak of slavery was not a very pleasant thing much of the time always there are exceptions and there were many many good masters and as time went on it got better in some places what I can read about this Gary is slavery in the condition of the slaves in many areas and ways improved as time went on because of Christianity. In other places, it became worse. South Carolina, for example, the, the, the where they were breeding the slaves, the, the plight of the slaves became worse over time in those kind of areas. Other places, the plight of the slaves, they, more often they, they were free. And that was true in Roman times. As slaves got older, they were freed, and that was happening a lot in the United States. But the slavery in the Roman Empire at the time of the Bible was a mixed bag. A lot of it was indentured, and a lot of it was chattel, and there were great differences in outcome in those two kinds of slaves. What were you going to say, Gary? I was going to say, the, the condition of the slave in terms of what we, what we consider good or bad today depended a great deal upon the master. It was it was almost totally dependent on who the master was, and his nature and his his outlook on the slaves. I've read stories about slaves in Missouri who were slaves to uh, apparently uh, a member who was a member of the Church of Christ, and when they were freed, he said basically he, he used their labor to operate the farm, provide for them, provide for himself. And after the war, when they were freed, basically they elected to stay with him in what amounts to the same situation. Which, is, which was not an uncommon thing. They had nowhere else to go, for one thing. Right. And they, and but, they, but he they, provided they, for they them. They would have fled if he had been a harsh master. Right, and he provided for them. And I want to point out this idea of slavery in and of itself being immoral may not, at least in my view, Mike may disagree with me, at least in my view, does not appear to be immoral. And I say that because Paul calls himself 
a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And we are purchased with his blood. So we are bought and paid for slaves of Jesus Christ when we are Christians. Now, that does not mean what it might mean to someone who was the slave of a of a harsh master. Well, I think in, he's using in, it in, as, right. as a metaphor, as a figure there. But, in that but literally, well, I think literally purchased with his blood, that is not necessarily metaphoric because his sacrifice was for us. Well, I, I understand what you're saying there, but I don't think God is saying, yes, slavery is a good thing because w- when Paul writes the letter to Onesimus, what happened was this. When, when even when, when the Bible began to be written, early and early from the earliest recordings of human history there's been slavery and you find this from the time of abraham onward you see this servitude and so when the bible begins to speak into the world and god's prophets begin to speak slavery is already what men are are experiencing and he regulates and so he doesn't over he, he regulates it and doesn't and doesn't over and doesn't outlaw it because it simply would have not been culturally possible for that to be done immediately well, but he, but it's, what he, it's he, in a manner something similar to sex. He regulates it. It's it's proper and everything within marriage, but not outside of marriage. He regulates it in that. Well, I, would, I, I think that's a very uh, that's going to be a hard to understand metaphor, Gary, slavery and sex. But well, anyway, no, no. But what I'm saying is just because it's regulated or just because under certain circumstances it's considered bad. Does make does not make it in all circumstances bad. Well, and there's and but and my point is there's different kinds of there's different kinds of slavery. I don't think chattel slavery was what God intended when He made man. He created man independent, and uh, each man is responsible for himself. He did not create a, a, a class of human beings that was sub, subordinate to another or inferior to another, and so forth. Men did that. Now God came along and in. In the laws of Israel, which I can't go into specifically today, but the laws about slavery in the law of Moses were very, very pro-slave, as it were. They had they had actual rights, and there were there were restrictions based on their on who they were as to what could be done with them. And 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 the law of Moses was very strict about the treatment of slaves in the favor of the slave, whereas the the laws in Syria and Egypt. And Rome were very much against the slaves. That was true chattel slavery. They could do anything they wanted to you if you were a slave. In fact, these slavers would go around before abortion became something that could be done without killing people as a woman. The women would have the babies and leave them out. And and these slavers would go along and pick up these infants off the side of the road and turn them into slaves. That's where a lot of the slaves in Rome came from was uh, infants that nobody wanted, and of course, strangely enough, <laughs> unwanted babies today sometimes end up as slaves in a certain different way. But um, yeah, I think the and I think what the Bible did though was set up the criteria in how we're to view other human beings that made slavery disappear. It was Christianity that got rid of slavery. This modern notion. That Christianity supported the the church supported slavery. Christianity got rid of slavery in the world. And yes, there have been plenty of Christians who perverted the Bible, the texts like uh, uh, Mark of Cain and so forth, to support their slaving. But the idea that men are created equal and all that there is neither slave nor free, there was nothing like that in ancient history. 
the idea that in in Christ there is neither slave trying, nor trying free. Trying to make all equal before the law. They were equal, and they were equal before God, and therefore they became. Therefore, in the Christian mind, they became equal before the law. And when you read the book of Philemon, which is the most extensive text on slavery in the New Testament in particular, the whole gist of that letter is that this former slave, this slave owner Onesimus, who was a Christian, was to treat his slave as if he were free. He was to treat him as a brother in Christ. And uh, and he was a brother in Christ, and Paul was asking him, or telling him as, by his apostolic authority, this is the way you as a Christian must treat this slave. It went against all Roman protocol, all understanding in the ancient world, what Paul was saying to, to Onesimus. And so this, even though it's used by some people to uh, kind of defend American slavery, I, I don't think it does. I think it basically says the way a, a way the way most American slave owners thought and treated their slaves was wrong. I understand how it happened that way. I understand why it was important. And well, I, I don't argue that the fact that the Bible militates against the cruelty and the harshness that was practiced in many places is immoral in what God says. That harshness and that cruelty and that treatment of others has never been moral in the sight of God. Well, I'm the question saying, is, is, is it biblical to own another human being as a piece of chattel or a piece of property? I don't even think the Bible gives gives way to the fact that the husband owns the wife. No. Even and, though there's even though not, there's this, she's there's not a, pictured as a slave. There's, there's a subjection. Well, she's a servant, but she there's a subjection place there. But she's and never so, pictured as right. a slave. And I don't know that the Bible ever gives any kind of any kind of sanction to one human being owning another human being. But then serving, Philemon, yes. Philemon was sent back to his master. He was because he couldn't have, and Philemon was free to. And I think you'll see that Paul is actually urging. Paul, Paul him, says if you Paul have, is urging him to free the slave. And Paul says if you have the opportunity to be free, take it. Right, and he's saying that with Philemon to hear that. That this is what should happen. And so that was a very subtle letter uh, there. So that's the question that's at stake. But the idea of, of uh, chattel slavery, I think, is, a, is a, by Christian, historically, Christians have thought of chattel slavery as completely wrong. They have thought of indentured servitude, where you place yourself in the service of another for a particular time to earn a particular amount of money or to do a certain thing. Uh, that's been viewed more positively historically and by Christians. So there's different kinds of slavery we have then, to understand. But then if you look at the Christian, he is an indentured servant in in, in almost every way. Take a look. He is bought and paid uh, for. Of course. Now, and of, how many of course. Times, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that? that I have the right on another uh, what person. I'm, That's what my I'm point. Saying, what I'm saying, Mike, is I'm making a distinction between an institution called slavery and the treatment of individuals in life as we are as Christians. And I see that difference in the Bible because basically we, for me to say I am not a bondservant of Jesus Christ is not for me to say. Well, oh, I think I, I think we are bondservants of Jesus Christ. And but, bondservant but the is question a, is, do I have the right to buy another man? That's the question. God has a right to buy me, and that, that, even that requires my consent to be bought. Okay. And so that's what I'm saying. But but chattel slavery, there's no consent on the part of the slave to be bought and owned by another. 
and I don't know that the Bible gives me the right to own another man. Uh, that's the question, and that is the question that, that was brought up in the, in the American slavery debate, as probably uh, we don't have as many records of this. I'm sure as slavery disappeared from the Roman Empire, this was certainly the, the debate about it, and probably the treatment of slaves in the Roman Empire many times was worse than the treatment oh, yes. that the American slaves received, but oftentimes it was much better than they received. They became members of of a family in a very op open way. They were buried with their masters in the same tombs. Uh, they often inherited their masters' estates. Uh, that was a very rare thing in and chattel in, slavery. Best I can tell, in the ancient East, uh, the time of Christ, slaves ate at the table of the master. They lived in the house. Oftentimes hired, they did. Hired Sometimes help did, did not. Sometimes they did, but that those were probably those were. That's a different. That's my point. That's a different kind of slave than the chattel slave. Oh, or, well, now in America, that was called the house slave, slave. or the field slave. Yeah. And there the was a difference in treatment the distinctions there. distinctions are pretty subtle. Right. Uh, my, my question that I think has to be answered is, do I have a right to own another person? I'm going to I'm going to come down and say, not as a Christian, I don't think I do. Then does but, God have the right, right to own another? Person? Yes, because he created me. He can own me. OK, he I can. Own my, me. I rest my case. He can own me. Well, I, I don't. I mean, that's my case. I think God can own me. I don't think another man can own me or should own me. Uh, I don't think I should own another man because we're all equal before God, and I don't have a right to own him. Do I, does he ever? Do I have a right to pay a man to serve me? Or yes, I do, and I can. When and and the, in indentured servitude, there's a, an actual exchange of of goods going on, as it were. Uh, there's a mutual benefit within that. A mute and yeah, yes, there is, and it's an it's a it's by consent usually and, on and some I, and level. The slavery that I speak of in respect to the Christian, there is a mutual benefit within that. Yeah, well, God does it for my yes. benefit. He doesn't do it for His benefit. You see, chattel slavery is based on you you serve me, and that's for my benefit. And you, they had to treat their slaves a certain way, or they couldn't get anything out of them. They found found that out, but there's a difference there. Um, I'm just saying, be very careful when you talk about this, because God appears in many cases as the slaveholder. And that and that is exactly what uh, the woke Marxists would say about the Bible, is that God, God's just another slave owner. He's the great fairy in the sky, and he's just a slave owner, like all the other white guys that own slaves in the South. That's the picture they want to paint for people today. And that's, that's not That's a very case. inaccurate and wrong picture. But I don't think that I can go to the Bible and say... Yes, God condoned slavery. It was a good thing. Uh, he just regulated it, so forth. I, I don't think that's the same thing. But anyway. Um, well, I don't think he condoned it in every case, and I don't think he condones in any way the cruelty that often went with no, it. No, he doesn't condone the cruelty, and he do, I don't think he condones the chattel nature of it. Uh, I think he tolerated that, just like he tolerates polygamy uh, in among humans, has regulated polygamy in the Old Testament, although... When we come to the time of Jesus, he does say man should have one wife. But there was a whole time when it says the sins, these sins God overlooked, as it were. And I think there's a reason why but that's a point slavery need, disappeared under Christians. But that's a point Christians. we need to make. At one time he overlooked those things, but now what? He demands all men yeah, everywhere, everywhere to, to repent. repent. Right. And basically the conditions he set, we need to meet. Well, there's just two or three. I mean, I think it's pretty clear when you read history that the main reason slavery disappeared around the world 
was because of the influence of Christianity as time went by. And that's why it's so disingenuous, dishonest for the progressives today and the Marxists to say that Christianity was somehow the great purveyor of slavery. Christianity was the reason slavery disappeared around the world. And when you look at countries today, Gary, slavery still exists. When you look at countries today that have slavery, they are not Christian countries. They are pagan countries in Africa, or they are Muslim countries, okay? Not Christian countries. And you know, I'm using the word, those words broadly in that place. And there's a reason for that, because Christianity was the impetus for slavery to disappear around the world. Now, men are always going to be servants of each other. That's the nature of human beings. It's the nature of the world. And like you say, God regulates those relationships with ma in matters of cruelty. But uh, the basic principles of the American Constitution about all men being equal before the law are based on the fact that all men are equal before God from the Bible. I believe that's where that idea came from. All right, well, anyway, I appreciate Jerry's call. Appreciate Ken's call. And if any of you, ask the rest of you want to call in, we have about 15 minutes left. We'd be glad to talk with you. The number here to reach We Are Just Christians is 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number. And we'll be glad to talk with you, take your question, your comment, your criticism, whatever it may be here on We Are Just Christians. And we'd also uh, like to remind you about the text numbers. We haven't received too many texts this morning, uh, but 772 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120, 772-260-6220 are the two numbers that you can call and reach us by text message. Now, you can use those any time during the week. If you call that other number I gave, the call-in number for WPSL during the week, you won't get me or Gary. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who you'll get, um, Cliff or Ray or somebody, but uh, Greg, but you won't get us. But if you call the text number, or if you text the other numbers, you'll reach Gary or me, and we'll be glad to respond to you, 772-260-6120 or 6220. We also have an email number. Oh, Go ahead. No, here. no, I was just going to go ahead and give the numbers. All right, the email, the email address, if you want to write a little longer thing or contact us by email, maybe that's more convenient, is justchristians at att.net. Justchristians at att.net. All one word, justchristians at att.net. Send that. We'd be glad to hear from you by email, too. We do receive emails from time to time. All right, Gary, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say, First uh, Corinthians <clears throat> 6 and 20, you were bought with a price. First Corinthians 7. And 23, you were bought at a price. Second Peter 2, 1, you who were bought by them. Basically, in uh, Acts 20 and 28, you were purchased. Uh, in, uh, and in Romans 1, 1, Galatians 1, 10, Philippians 2, 7, Colossians 4, 12, Titus 1, 1, James 1, 1. Second Peter one one and Jude one, they were all bond servants of Jesus Christ. Right. I'm having a hard time seeing that as justification for the slavery in the South as a principle that God endorsed. Well, no. I'm, what I'm uh, saying uh, is just be careful how you speak about it. That's what I'm saying. Because this is something this is something that God uses in that. Now there may be a, there may be a connection between people people that say. I won't be in service to any man, and I won't be in service to God either. 
but I'm not sure that that's a direct connection that that is made in the Bible. I don't think I'm supposed to be uh, well, be careful a, about a that. bond be servant care- to any other man. Be particularly. careful. The greatest in the kingdom is the one who serves. I know. Well, now wait. That that but that's a voluntary service, uh, not an involuntary service. Uh, and so forth. The service I give to other men is because Christ owns me, not because the other man owns me. Exactly. Okay. Or so I'm only saying I, give, I don't think I can use those patches about us being bond servants to Christ I'm, to justify saying, take a look, uh, southern take a look southern care. slavery. I'm I don't think it be justifies. Be careful it. how you use it. That's what well, I'm I am saying. being careful. I'm distinguishing between service to another man and service to God. And the I think God used that concept because humans were practicing that. A case can be made that he, he used something people who understand to say that he was a bondservant of Christ. Paul was showing these other bondservants in the empire that, yes, indeed, they were not as they were not of no value just because they were uh, slaves. That's what he was saying to them. You're not of in, you're not of, you're not worthless because you're a slave. I'm a slave to Christ. You need well, to be a slave. It's, to Christ. it's getting back to humility and pride. Again. But the idea that we can take those things from the Bible and say, well, this, you know, slavery isn't so bad. I don't really want – I don't think I can go there. You can go there maybe. I, I can't go there because I just don't think that that's what God intended for man to in do. The, in the form it's presented to the Christian, I don't think it's a more, an immoral institution. I don't think God is immoral in any way in likening that to slavery. I think American slavery was an immoral institution. The concept of servitude is not immoral because it's obvious it's in the Bible. Then, okay. then you're, you're, but that's you're, a concept you're, you're at of servitude. odds with yourself in that, too. No, I'm not. I, yes. I think the Bible is very clear. I'm a servant that, of God because God bought me with a price. That's a concept of servitude. The question is, does somebody else have a right to own me? That's the question. And do I have a right to own somebody else? That's the problem that I and see, and I don't defi- think the Bible how, how we define that. own and what was paid. Again, well, what's what, 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 what's saying, pa- what's saying. paid in uh, in chattel slavery is a monetary price or some financial value. Uh, that's what I'm questioning. Well, okay. you're saying the the sacrifice made for us had no value. I don't think it had a financial value. That's my point, and I don't think I I don't think it was just something anybody else could enter into. No man could no man could make, make that, that purchase. purchase. No man could make that purchase. Okay. It had to be. It had, had to be it a blameless a purchase. It had to be a blameless right. sacrifice. But I, but I, I don't think one justifies the other. I, I just don't. I think that's a that's a missing. That's a not a proper understanding. Well, of one, the of, one of the major reasons, and it was it was losing ground in the South even before the war. It was not economical. I mean, that's neither here nor there. But it was not economical. It was losing its monetary value at the same time. Many of the type places that. This happened even in England beforehand. When you look at it, it was losing its monetary value to begin with. Yes, Christian morals militate against it. I don't disagree with that. But in looking at the overall picture, it's hard to see. All I'm saying is be careful how you use it. That's what I'm saying. Well, I I think that there is a resistance on the part of many rebellious people today to say they would never never serve another human being. But I don't think that's the same as saying slavery is okay uh, or it's a good thing because those two things don't fit together in that way. The idea that one human being has the right to own another human being um, does not fit with the nature of creation. It doesn't fit with how even God, when he established Israel and the laws of Israel, uh, set it up, to, for, especially for his people. 
Uh, now, c can you act as a can you be a Christian and be a slave? Yes, you can. And that's the that's an ironic thing here. You're free in Christ, but you're a slave to another man. That was considered to be a great irony that Paul was trying to get across in his dealings, even with Onesimus. So but you, uh, um, you could not be a Christian and own a slave. No, I didn't say that because that was the culture of the time. I think that I think that when God spoke to that issue in the, in the book of Philemon and he was essentially telling Philemon, you need to free this man. And at the very least, you treat him as if he is an equal brother in Christ. And he, th therefore, if he's an equal brother in Christ, he's equal to you. So basically, he's he could go back and in any case, he could remain a slave, but as long as he his could have in Roman society, as yes. long as his master treated him well, there was no immoral consequences to that. Yeah. Yes. yes that, okay. That's, that's, that's right. My point. In, in the context of that culture, that that's was correct. That's my point, Mike. Because if God had said to the Christians, you can't be a slave to any man or only slave. It would have completely disrupted Roman society, That's my and point. the gospel would have been rejected. That's my point, and he didn't say that. Okay. Um, I, 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 I fail to see that by the time you get to the 1860s that we can take the Bible and justify American slavery. Uh, it From the Bible, it just doesn't work as far as Christians are concerned. If we believe that all men are created equal and, and have an equal standing before the law, even the Constitution was in itself problematic in that it said that all men were created, created equal, equal before and, the law. It and was, then they were not equal before the law. And, Slaves and free were not equal before the law. And basically, we find that's the case that precipitated a lot of the Well, that, that inherent contradiction led to conflict. And that's my point. The idea that I can be a Christian and still be a slave owner creates an internal conflict that I'm going to have to eventually resolve one way or the other. And to many American Christians, that eternal conflict made them worse. It made them less Christian because they resolved the conflict by saying, yes, I have a right to own, own another human being and nobody can tell me I can't. And it made them worse Christians. Okay. Others resolved that by saying these slaves is equal to them and they freed them or did whatever else they could within the context of their society. I fail to see the difference between a worse Christian and a better Christian. In that sense, basically, you said it turned them. You, it you made said, them now, worse than they were before. Here, here, That's here. my point. Here's what it you corrupted said. them. There was a time in this country when a Christian could own slaves and not be an immoral person. Well, I don't know. I'll just have to say I don't know if that's true or not. Okay, that's my point. That's they may, my, that may not that's be true. What, that's my point. That's what I'm trying to say. Be very careful. By the time you get to 1860, I just don't know if that's, that's what a Christian should be doing. Okay, that's the Christian. point I'm trying to make, Mike. Be very careful about what you say along the lines of that. Okay, that's all I'm saying. It's not clear. And if it, that person was not immoral or not in sin by holding that person as a slave because they treated them well, because they treated them as brothers, because they treated them as part of their household, which was consistent with what God told them to do. Now, take it from there. Now, look, I, I can make a defense on the same basis as you just said of polygamy. Okay. okay. And I, I can make a defense of polygamy and the I same don't, way. And I don't argue with that, okay. but, but basically what did he say later? What did he say later on? This is the way it's supposed to be. He didn't say that about slavery. That's not pointed out in terms I, I, of okay. slavery. It, well, all right. We're going to have okay. to come back to this because our time is getting away from us. But I, I think that – I'm uh, just saying be very careful how you uh, use that. All right. Um, 
this is a this is a major criticism of the Bible. Well, today, somebody wanted to today. see us disagree. Okay. Well, well, they got their wish today. That's fine. We uh, can disagree. That's for sure. But I, I just I think we might be probably much closer than it looks. But I, I don't. I'm not going to go to the Bible and make a defense of slavery, and I'm especially not going to well, do that's, it that's from not, passages like the Mark of Cain. That's or, not what I'm trying to do is make uh, a defense of slavery itself. Well, what it I'm sounds like is, that. No, what I'm saying is be careful how you point it out. Be careful how you use it. Well, I thought I was being careful about what I said about slavery by saying what the Bible said about it. And, and, uh, no, and the, you said slavery is an immoral institution, and Christian, I, Christianity I believe, did away with it. I, uh-huh. and I don't Christianity think, did do away with and it. I don't think that's entirely true. Well, what did do away with it? Economics did away with it. Well, some of it. Some, some of, of it. it. It's still okay. economical in certain aspects. Well, of course. So is marriage itself. Marriage is an institution that provides economic benefit. Uh, and so we don't, well, I don't. I don't tell people you should get married or stay married or not divorce because of the economics of it, even though there's an economic right. factor involved. And there's a moral reason why well, you should do that. Do it things. is used that way. But I can't go to the Bible and show where one human being uh, could, on theory, own another human being uh, and treat them as if they were, the original question was chattel or property. Um, that's a very difficult thing for me to be able to do, uh, to the, treat the, another the human being Philemon, as property. Philemon does that, exactly. God permitting something for a particular period of time is not the same as God saying, this is the way I wanted it from the beginning. And I don't think God made man in the beginning for one man to own another man. It doesn't look that way. I, don't, I certainly don't think that's the basis. Uh, even when we talk about the basis of our Western society, Western society is not based upon the idea that one, that one man should own another man because of what the Bible says about that subject, about all men being made equal and men and women being equal and bond and free being well, some equal. Of those, some of those statements about what the Bible says are not real clear. And that's what I'm saying. Be very careful about what you say. Okay. All right. We'll have to back up slavery another time. Got a couple minutes left. Um, are we that far into it? Yes. Oh, yeah. We're about done here. I, got a, I had a wow. couple of other things I wanted to talk about. But uh, here's one you'll, you'll like, Gary. I think I might have mentioned this to you before. Just something quick. We can cover this in a couple of minutes. That that'll be interesting. This is uh, this is from the a site called Not the Bee. So the Babylon Bee is a satire site. Not the Bee is done by the same people, only it's not satire. And so the story is that in the Church of England now, the Anglican Church, there is no definition of a woman. Um, the Church of England uh, basically says there's no official definition of a woman. In a written reply or submitted to the request that they said it. And so the headline of the Babylon Bee is when you didn't read the first chapter of the book, but still try to pass the test. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't read the first chapter of the book. Well, our time is gone now. Uh, We've got one minute left, but they they can't pass the test. The Anglicans can't because they didn't read the first chapter of the book of Genesis. But in any event, uh, we appreciate you listening to the show today. Thank you very much. We appreciate those who called and texted. Take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. You'll find a tab there that says sermons. You'll find one for this radio show. You'll find one for all these recordings and podcasts that we do there at wearejustchristians.com. Come and visit us. We meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. Meet at 10 o'clock this morning, 11 for worship, and also 730 on Wednesday night. Thank you very much for listening. Hope that you'll tune in again next week, and may God bless you.
You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie.